0: Sports Talk, Talk New, York New York with your, with your hosts, Mark, Mark Rosenman Rosen and, A.J. and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark, Mark and A.J. A.J.
1: Joining us now is a man whose Hockey Hall of Fame plaque sits beside such literary giants as Red Fisher, Al Laney, and Michael Farber. His passion for hockey began as a child growing up on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, going on to Bronx High School of Science, and then to CCNY. He found his way to the post in 1976, starting in Rewrite, then again, the Islanders beat. He also covered baseball during that time, covering the famous 1977 Yankees. In 1978, he began covering the Rangers, and the next season he segged into a role as hockey columnist while still covering baseball. He left the paper in 1982 to become vice president of communications for the Devils, which included the color commentary on radio. By 1993, he returned to the post and covered the Devils, adding the now-famous Sunday column known as Slapshots in 1995. He reclaimed the Rangers' beat in 1996 and stayed on the blue shirts ever since. It is an absolute pleasure to welcome back the recipient of the Elmer Ferguson Award bestowed by the Hockey Hall of Fame in recognition of distinguishing members of the newspaper profession whose words have brought honor to journalism and to hockey, the one one and only Larry Brooks of Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Larry.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Mark. That's... Uh... <laughs> Very nice introduction. I
1: appreciate it. <laughs> it's all Listen, it's all
0: you. <laughs> I yeah, didn't, you know, I was <laughs> right. I was, I was listening. I was like, yeah, I, I, wonder who this, I wonder who he's talking about.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so before we talk Ranger Hockey, let's talk a little bit about the Hall of Fame. Aside from the honor of being in the Hall of Fame, when you add those words in recognition of distinguished members of the newspaper profession whose words have brought honor to journalism and hockey, what are some of the thoughts that come to your mind, especially now, when journalists are under attack in many different ways,
0: well, it's it's very humbling. Um, when I started, Red Fisher was writing, and uh, Frank Orr was writing in Toronto, and Fran Rosa in Boston, and and these were you know legends of the profession, and for me to be acknowledged. Um, the same way they they were is is, is really quite humbling and, and quite flattering. Um, I do know that journalists are under attack um, from all quarters, and it is very important that we maintain our vigilance and and we maintain our uh, quest for information, um, because not only are journalists under attack. Um, the internet has created a situation where leagues and teams obviously have their own message they want to get out. And increasingly, they are attempting to um,
1: minimize
0: outside coverage and prioritize their own coverage. And so um, we face a different landscape than we did. Certainly, um, you know, when I started, it was a different world in every aspect. And in, in many ways, it's a much, much better world now, but in some ways, it's a more fragile world. In many ways, it's a more fragile world. So um, uh, you know, our role is more important than ever. And I think that's something that needs to be reinforced all the time. And I actually did mention that during my uh, during my speech at, at yep. my induction. So, um, I do think it's it's you know we 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 are essential workers. You know there there is a reason that um, during the pandemic, um, during uh, the restrictions in, in New York State, that journalists were granted um, essential worker status, and um, I think that kind of um, defines who we are.
1: Absolutely, I'm not
0: saying that someone who reports on hockey is an essential no.
1: I, worker, I honestly, I'm, I'm not, but. <laughs>
0: um, you know, journalists uh, are. Absolutely.
1: So we mentioned your passion for hockey began as you were growing up. Anyone who reads your work knows how well you see the game. Who was it that taught you the game of hockey? And was there one reporter that served as an inspiration for your writing?
0: Um, no. (laughs) The second question, Um. you know i I went to games with my father and uh and uh you know just grew up and going to the old garden and and, and the side balcony and the g o seats i spent uh fifty cents a night and i uh, i think the subway was uh i think the round trip on the subway then was uh thirty cents it was fifteen cents and um i remember it was a big deal when it went up to twenty cents um so i you know i went to the the old garden and sat in the side balcony and and uh then i went then I got season tickets, and I was in four nineteen in the blue seats and i am and maybe it shows, thought but I had the great fortune the great fortune of covering the islanders when I started i mean honestly you know your first the your first my first job um, was to cover the islanders and you know with al Arbor and bill Torrey and that team who uh not only were they did they become one, of the, I I think the greatest team in hockey history, but certainly one of the greatest teams in hockey history, inarguably. Um, but they were remarkably articulate, and equally remarkably willing and eager to talk. Uh, so, uh, my education in the National Hockey League, my you know my education came from, um, and my my teachers were. The New York Islanders of the uh, mid to late 70s. Wow. Just just a, a great, great team and a great group of players. And of course, it was much different. You know, we traveled with the team, flew with the team were on the team bus, you know, ate meals with, with players. You know, you'd sit down in the coffee shop and it was like you were, you were just part of the traveling party. So the relationships between players and writers covering or, or at least me and i and i know a couple of others certainly um we much different you know we were quasi-friendly we were quasi-friends we were friendly and quasi-friends um but i don't think that ever um it, you know it, it, it allows you to get a much fuller picture and it allows you to create a bond of trust because a lot of things happen, and when you go out with guys, you know there are a lot, um, there, are, there are, are things that um, don't don't make it into the paper. But you get to know these people, and now it's a much much different landscape.
1: It's a perfect segue to the next question because obviously the way hockey is covered not only changed from that time, but a great deal now due to the pandemic. And, and having watched you work close up over the years, I see the hard work you put in to develop special relationships with with the players who sit long after the postgame scrums have ended and and talk to you. How challenging was the way the postgames and practices were handled via Zoom for your coverage of the team?
0: Oh, it's... uh, (laughs) um, I, I don't... I don't... I don't think that I covered the series i think i wrote about what i saw on on television and i think i wrote about what the guys said on zoom but um coverage was limited coverage is limited everywhere because you know when you have players on zoom <laughs> you know the the chances of of real candor are uh, minimized and certainly the chances of of a player telling an individual something is, uh, is, uh, impossible. So it is a different world. Um, I think I, I, what I, what I tried to do is incorporate history into everything I wrote and incorporate my knowledge of, of, you know, what, uh, background information. But, um, uh, you know, if, if if this um, it's not really covering a beat; it's it's just covering what you see on television. So it's completely different, completely different.
1: And it's also interesting because you said the the way the meteors change. And it's on,
0: and, and if I can interrupt, it's it, yeah. it's listen. I, I love what I do, but it is far less enjoyable. Oh, obviously, yeah, Agreed. You know?
1: Absolutely. Even even
0: going to the practices, you know, it, there were strict protocols. Um, you were able, a limited number of of, of uh, reporters were able to attend each day when they skated in the in the summer camp. but you you know you <laughs> went in, you stood behind the glass, you watched them skate, and you left. You know, there was no interaction. Um, so it, it was that was a very bizarre. Um, it was it was kind of normal, but it was completely abnormal at the same time.
1: And to your earlier point about the way the media has changed and the way that the teams liked and control the message, now via Zoom, you know it's not the open locker room where you might be able to catch a, a guy who you know right. is more candid than a, another player, but yet now you're limited to who on the dailies they're giving you after practice. So it, it's more, right. again more to that point as well. Right. Um,
0: and and uh, and 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 since I'm doing columns on on these games, you know, I would um, I would often you know when I'm when I'm writing a column, I often pick out any individual who may not have been. Star of the game who may not have had a you know a, a significant impact on the game, but there may be an issue with him that I want to write about. You know, maybe a contract issue, maybe a ice time issue. Well, that's impossible because if they put two players on the Zoom conference call, it's impossible to write about the third player. You know, so it, it's just a uh, it's an unwieldy situation, and um, for far for far greater reasons than, than hockey coverage. I, I, uh, I certainly hope this does not uh, last beyond this uh, playoffs.
1: Larry, this is Ryan Sherman. So I have a question about, you know, we've talked about how the media mm-hmm. has changed and how the teams have changed the coverage, but also for, for you personally, when you started with that Islanders team and you were able to build such a trust, do you have any differences to today's game where the players are a little bit younger? Maybe you don't you know, what are the ways you try to connect with well, them and build that trust?
0: I, I, I was younger. <laughs> no, of, co- of <laughs> and, course, of and course. And, you know, that was, I'm, I'm sure that, let me do it, really. We were all, this, we were all, like, you know, that was a really young Islander team. And, um, um, I was 25. And, uh, so, yes, it was, you know, and, and they weren't making, you know, some of those guys weren't making all that much money, all that much more money than I was at that point. Um, and so the relationship was completely different, and I get that. I, I, you know, I get that I'm an older person now, and, and there are teenagers in the locker room, but it, it's, I think it's less that than the structure that has put, been put in place. Plus, I have to say, too, that now after games, players are working out. They are. They just go straight to the workout room, and they're working out, where when I started with the Islanders – players would be drinking, hanging out in, in the locker room drinking beer after the game. <laughs> so it was, it, was, it was completely different.
1: But, you know, here, here's the flip side of that. So, agreed, yes, you were younger, the Islanders were younger, it was a different era as far as, you know, what the sport was. But let's face it, in that room, there's no doubt you are the most respected journalist there is. I mean, you're in the friggin' Hall of Fame, Larry. So does that add a little bit to the relationship where the guys will respect you more than, you know, me or any other guy in that room?
0: I can't. That's, that's, that's really not a question I can answer. You <laughs> would have to ask the players, and they would probably say, he's in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> oh,
1: all right. Let, let, let's turn our attention to the 2019-2020 New York Rangers. Let's start with the head coach, David Quinn. How would you assess the job he did in year two, and how important do you think this playing experience was for him?
0: I think he did a very good job um, this year. You, you know, the signing of, of uh, Panarin, the addition of Fox, the uh, acquisition of uh, Truba, um, changed the expectations for this year's team, and maybe a little bit unfairly, and maybe not. Um, so I think there, were, there was a little, there was there was there was a lot more expected of this team with Panarin with Truba. And as as the season evolved with Adam Fox becoming just such a big-time player right out of the gate with Adam Fox. Um, but I think that that uh, at the core, this is, this is very much a rebuilding team, and I think that a lot of players progressed this year, and I think you have to give certainly some credit, to, a lot of credit to the coaching staff for that. I think uh, Pavel Buknevich, you know, he certainly took a step this year you have to give Adam Fox you have you know Adam Fox, Ryan Lindgren, um, Tony D'Angelo. And you know, Quinn's decision very early in the year to split Zabanejad and Panarin was a critical one. And because it gave the Rangers instead of a potential super first line with Panarin and Zibanejad, it gave them two legitimate first lines which of course forced the opposition to choose their match. So I think David Quinn did a very good job this year. I think um, I think that this playoff experience will be a help to him. Um, I'm not sure what happened there. I honestly I don't know. I don't know why they were so bad. I know that really their best players were not good. So when you start with that, you know that that's 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 a pretty good place to start to explain it. But still. Uh, they just were not representative of the team they were during the season at all. And I think that, um, again, you know, so far removed, I am more perplexed than anything else, but I am sure that David Quinn um, picked up and is now digesting a lot of the information that he was able to gather over, over those three games in six days and including, you know, the summer camp because it's It's interesting. I, I wrote a number of times that it was impossible for me to place that camp into context, the what I saw, you know, because it was unprecedented. But as it turns out, the players who actually were most impressive during that camp, for whatever it was worth, were also the players who were most impressive during their series against Carolina, and the players who didn't show up, you know, who just didn't show anything at, at that camp, also didn't show anything in the series. So, you know, looking backward now, you can put the camp into some sort of context. And I think now David Quinn has that camp and these three games off of which to draw.
1: Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting to see how he assesses all of that. One of the key questions going into the season was the goaltending. Rangers had three NHL-quality net minders at the start of the season. We Everyone speculated with the lots of different scenarios that could have played out. Your article this past week, Henrik Lundqvist's long Rangers goodbye is coming to an end, was spot on. Um, had this season been a made-for-TV movie, all the hard work Henrik put in, and Igor's injury would have had Hank putting the Rangers on his back, much like Carey Price did in the playoffs. Um, as you mentioned, Hank played well enough to win in Game 2, not well enough in Game 2. So we actually sit here exactly 100 days from the start of training camp. Um, do you see Henrik back a- as a Ranger next year, and you know which are the ways he goes out?
0: I can't conceive of a situation where he's back. And and this isn't just off of now. I mean, I, I, I think I started writing that in February that I, I just could not envision a scenario under which he is back next year. He clearly is not going to be their number one goaltender. Um, there is really no evidence that he can or wants to be a backup. Uh, being a backup is a very, very tough job. It's not just playing the games. Backup goaltenders are on the ice with the extras every day when there's an optional practice. Well, the Rangers actually don't have that many optionals, but they have some game day optionals. Um The backup goaltender goes on. It's the first guy on the ice with the extras stays on the ice late to work with the guys. Um, it's a very demanding position, and I don't know that at the age of 38, after being the face of the franchise for 15 years, that – That's a workable situation, even if even if um, Lundquist says, you know what, I, 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 you know, I'm okay with that. I'll give that a try. I'm I'm just not sure that's a workable situation. It was it was so um, uncomfortable in the room at practice in in, uh, say, February and March before the uh, before the pause. When Hank played one out of 19 games, and yet there he was in the locker room every day. And the man who had spoken for the team essentially since 2005 was just an extra, you know, he, he was just a spare. And um, I, 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 I just don't, I can't conceive of a situation where he's back. I don't know what he's going to do. Um, he may want to continue to play if he, in the NHL. We know he's extremely competitive. Um, he may believe that he can win a number one job somewhere and take a team to the cup, and if that's what he believes, then, then he has every right to try and do that. But then the Rangers, are gonna, I think, are going to have to buy him out. Yeah. Um, clearly, for the Rangers, it, w- it would not be great to add another $5.5 million of dead cap space on top of the 7 4 whatever they have. I mean, they really will be operating the $68 million cap if they buy out lundquist but i again i just don't see lundquist back here um the other you know the other alternative is that he decides and with the um covid issue still hanging over all of us that he decides that next year he would just as soon stay in sweden because even if he comes back next year and plays somewhere he may not bring his family with him. Is that really what he's going to want to do? Is he going to want to go to a new city and stay by himself? There are a lot of things, and and Henrik Lundqvist has earned the right to make that decision, but the Rangers also have earned the right to make their roster decisions. You know, um, this is not about loyalty. You know, this is not about rewarding somebody for 15 years of great service. You, you can't run an, a franchise on, on, a, on a credit card. You can't. Um, And I think he realizes that. Um, I do. So I just don't see a scenario under which he comes back next
1: year. And I wonder also, I mean, he's a a guy who's a very, very proud individual. And, you know, I wonder if legacy, you know, enters his mind and going someplace, if he truly believes he can be a number one and lead a team to a Stanley Cup, then that's what he's going to do. On the other hand, if he thinks that, you know, it's going to be a hard task to do that. And I don't know what team that's on the cusp of a cup will have the the cap room for him, so it's going to be interesting. Um, I think you're right. I well, think, I think he,
0: he would play. He would play. I I, I assume on an over thirty-five one-year deal, one year, that's, right. uh, that's kind of loaded with bonuses. But um, in addition to that, I'm I don't see a Stanley Cup contender that's in great need of a number one goaltender right. either. Right. And that's the issue. There there might be some teams out there where he would be able to. Grab the number one job, but are they are they in cities where he wants to live? And why would he want to play for a bad team? You know, when he wouldn't leave New York because he wanted to win the Stanley Cup in New York. Um, So I mean, there you know, there there is a lot, and and uh, what what he decides to do is I don't know what he is going to decide to do. I don't think anybody knows at this point what he's going to decide to do. I don't, I'm not sure if, if he knows, but um, I just know that, you know, the Rangers have to make their decision um, taking emotion out
1: of it. It's very difficult with a franchise player like that as well. It, it, maybe for me, because I just love the guy, and I know that he really meant so much to the franchise. I don't know, maybe it's because of, of covering Tom Rennie, John Tortorella, and A.V., Uh, Interesting, the last two of them, both up for the Jack Adams Award. The voices in my head always come back to it's a process, whether it be a player or a team. Coach Quinn thought that the second-half push for the playoffs and playing in those high-leverage games was important for the young players. Eleven of those players made their playoff debut um, in far from normal circumstances. When you throw that into the mix, how valuable were, even you take the results out, how important were those three games for those eleven players and their development
0: I'm not sure uh, I'm not sure because they just weren't competitive mm-hmm. in, in 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 such large sections of the games they they just weren't and so i'm not sure that I'm not sure I, I think probably it, it, each player uh, comes away from it with a different experience. I think that for Brett Howden, it was terrific. I love Brett Howden. It's a major step yep. forward. Now, look, I don't think Brett Howden is going to be a top six player. No. I don't think he has the skills to be a top six player, but okay. he sure can be a third line center, a, yep. a, a very effective third line center. And I thought that his um, his tournament, followed by a, a, a pretty good summer camp, uh, uh, was a major step for him. I think so. He steps off, I think. I think Kako. Um, will um, will benefit from the experience in, in which he played well. I think, uh, I think Jacob Truba, um, and, and he is not one of the 11, I'm aware of that, but I think Truba had a very erratic season. I thought he had, you know, and he, he talked about it. He had difficulty adjusting to a new team after having played only in Winnipeg for his entire career. It's, it's, a, it's an adjustment in itself coming from Winnipeg to New York. It's an adjustment. Uh, playing suddenly under a seven-year contract that's worth eight million, you know, there's a lot there. And I and I and I and I thought Truba had a disappointing season, but I think he came to summer camp in better shape than he was during the year. And I thought he had a good camp, and I thought he played very well in in the uh, in the round against Carolina. So I think that's an, I think that's an important. Uh, I, I think that's uh, an important development for the Rangers. Uh, I thought Ryan Lindgren um, uh, battled hard. Adam Fox was just so unusual not to see him stand out. Um, I, I think that they all now recognize that what they came with wasn't good enough. And um, so each individual is going to have to um, look at himself and take something out of that. But um, I think there was some benefit to it, and I think there was a benefit. Um, for David Quinn also, because I think now David Quinn maybe has an understanding um, that, the, uh, that the playoffs are much different than the regular season. I remember, you know, it was funny, in, in 06, 07, I remember the Rangers were battling to make the playoffs the last, you know, week or two of the season, and uh, Rennie was the coach at that point, and, um, you know, there was a lot of talk about, well, these are playoff games for us. These are playoff games for us. And then they, then, then they played Atlanta in the first round. And I remember talking to Sean Avery after, I think, the first game. And Avery said, you know, he said, these games we've been playing at the end of the season, they were tough. He said, they're, they're nothing like this game. He said, this is completely different. And it is. And I, and I, think, um, I think the Rangers come away from this at least um, more educated on, on what playoff hockey is like.
1: I I totally agree. When I I did the book on the the 78-79 team and speaking to the younger players that got eliminated from Buffalo the year before... Like Murdoch and all these guys said that that experience really helped them. Even JD said that experience really helped them to know what to expect the following year. I I don't know if it you know obviously that that defeat was not what spurred them on. JD was really the reason, but a lot of those young players well, having, got the experience. Uh,
0: having having uh, Hedberg Nilsson that year yeah. helped too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little
1: bit, and Shiro as well. It, it's have John yeah, G Talbert. Fred. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. So just to go back to the goalie situation, how much do you think the third character in the goalie triangle, Georgiev, has really forced you know this situation where you believe Lundqvist won't be back? Uh, what do you think of Georgiev? Do you see him as a future starter that the Rangers will have to deal away because he deserves a starting job? Do you see him as someone who they're going to hold on to and have as that
0: backup? What do you think? Well, I think he'll be here next year on, unless unless they're overwhelmed by an offer. Between now and say at the draft, you know, it, and, you know the calendar is, is so <laughs> skewed that uh, you know between now and November, I guess um, or really between now and October, I think the draft is set for early october and and free agency begins after that, so July um, July will become you know the normal July I guess will become October, october right. this year right um. I think they envision Georgiev as their backup goaltender next year. And if there is a condensed schedule next year, the backup's going to play a fair amount. And I think they, they have a lot of faith in, in Alex. Um, Alex has not yet shown that he can carry a team. Um, he has he's had stretches where he has played three really good games, but he has never backed it up with the fourth. I mean, if you, if you go back and look, he has one game, two games, three games, but the fourth one isn't quite there. And he's still a very young goalie. He's still an inexperienced goaltender. But he's a a very hard worker, very popular among his teammates. And, again, unless the Rangers are overwhelmed by an offer for him, um, I think he'll be here next year, and and we'll see. Um, I I don't think you go into a season – well, let me just say this. They're not going to trade him because – at, at some point, he you know he deserves to be traded. <laughs> you know that that's just not the way to run a professional organization. Uh, you can't win that way. You know it's it's your needs. You know, you have to be fair to the players, but you also you also don't give guys away just because they want to be a number one somewhere else. Um. So I, I you know I, I think I think they will have Shostak and, and Georgiev next year, and we'll see how it plays out after that.
1: You mentioned October being the, the new July. The beauty of the elimination is the Rangers now have an, a 12.5% chance of getting the first overall pick in the draft. Many people are uh, saying that Alexis Lafreniere is a franchise transformational player. You pointed out in your column last week with the looming top six opening in the middle over the next couple of years, the Rangers might at least consider Sudbury's Quentin Beifeld. And I actually think Beifeld might be the better fit for the team as well what are the differences between the two of those players at this stage in their development?
0: I'm not a good person to ask about that. Okay. Seriously, I, I don't. I don't claim to have. Um, I don't claim to have advanced knowledge of, of these prospects. I, I see some of their clips. I, I read a lot about them, but I, don't, I have no firsthand knowledge of, of, of one versus the other. As, as to this stage of their development.
1: Yeah, le- reading a lot of the prospect's report, Liefeld you know, is a lot more physical, and, and, I, and I think in your articles you say that they definitely need a lot more grit. That, that's but, one thing that yeah, was exposed.
0: It, it, yeah, I think, I think it's a very interesting question, because I, I, I think that unquestionable, Lafrenia from everything I've read and from what I've seen, Lafreniere unquestionably has separated himself as a prospect. He, he is one alone. There is no controversy about who is one. It's not even, you know, it's not like last year. Well, Taco Hughes, Taco Hughes, or you know, um, you know, Sagan Hall. I mean, you know, all those years where you have um, discussions about who might be number one. There's no discussion. He he has separated himself. If he is the, if, if if he is that far ahead, then I think you take the player. I mean, you take the player if he's that far ahead. Um, but it's, it's an interesting exercise in player versus need. You know, in, in philosophy, do you go for the best player or do you go to fill a position of need? And I think most teams go for the player. Um, so, I'm, you know, if the Rangers um, get the first pick, there'll be a lot of talk about can they bundle, can they move down? Can they you know, could they move down and get by a field? You know, what can they do if they get the first pick? But, you know, generally the simplest, um, <laughs> the simplest simplest path is the best path. Right. And they and I would think if they go number one, you know, Lafreniere is probably probably the guy they would take. Although, you know, it's interesting, again, because they have Panarin and Kreider on the left. He's a left wing. Okay. Are they gonna draft him if he's gonna be their third line left wing? I, you know, I don't know about that. Right. So there's a lot, you know. Yeah. There, there's a lot. There are a lot of considerations.
1: It's unbelievable that th- this is what we, we get to talk about <laughs> right now in August. But it, it's some great stuff. Uh, a few more before we let you go. Other young talent in the pipeline for the Rangers on the offensive side. Obviously, Vitali Kratzoff, Morgan Barron on the blue line. Aside from Keandre Miller, they have Nils Lundquist as well as Matthew Robertson. Do you see any of those of that group being an impact on the team in the near future?
0: Uh well, before I before I answer that, the the other real positive uh, from this uh, this second season that the Rangers had, you know, short as it was, was Ke'Andre Miller's uh, performance in their summer camp. Yeah. He came in again. You know, it, it was a summer camp, and, and and some of the guys may not have been invested. Some of them were. So we don't. You know, you don't want to again take this out of context either. However, Ke'Andre Miller looked terrific in in summer camp he was playing both sides he was playing right side a lot because you know he was an extra and so they you know they they used him just to fill in but in the scrimmages and in the practices he looked like a a big time prospect I I don't think anyone in the ranger organization expects him to play for the team next year I really don't and if there's any doubt then please don't bring him up. No. You know, let him play in Hartford and get, a, and get some experience in the American League. So um, I doubt that uh, any, of, any of these players um, will make an impact next year. I think Barron has, certainly has a chance to make the team. Um, he plays both wing and center. I, the Rangers, I think, um, see him as a winger. So I, th- I think he has a real shot to compete for a job. I think he has a real shot to be on the team. And I think if the league had allowed, um, had allowed the Rangers to sign him, I think there's a pretty good chance he would have played in this, in, in this round, as a matter of fact. So I think Barron's the guy who might play on the team. I, 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 I think it's a stretch to think that anybody else will. Um, what... And I think it's important, by the way, that they are ex- very patient with the people they draft.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you know,
0: I, I, I don't. You know, let's say they don't get the number one. You know, there's a 125 percent 12. chance they do. So what's that? Eighty-seven point five that they don't. And if they don't, they're gonna they're gonna wind up drafting ten or eleven. And it's very important that they, um, you know, that they don't try and rush whomever they draft at ten or eleven. You know, it's uh, I think they. Um, there, there is no need to rush people. You, you have to allow this to unfold at its natural pace.
1: I got two more for you. One of the players that you know, I was looking at today, and and, and by no means do I expect them ever to be the type of player that Mika Zibanejad is. But you take a look at Pavel Buchnevich's first couple of seasons in the NHL, and you look at Zibanejad's numbers, and they're really almost identical. Buchnevich, I, I don't, you know, he kind of flies under the radar. As I, I don't think the expectations from Ranger fans are as high as they are for Kako and other younger players. But he's still a very young player. How high do you think the actual ceiling for a player like Buchnevich is?
0: He's been pretty erratic. Um, I thought he competed hard in in this uh, in this round, but he wasn't terribly effective. Um, really, none of, none of their skill players okay. were effective. So. Um, but I did think he competed pretty hard, and um, I, thought he, I, I thought he elevated his game uh, toward the end of, um, of the regular season when Kreider was out and uh, uh, Di Giuseppe moved up to the left side. So it really became, you know, uh, instead of Chris and, 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 and uh, Zibanejad as, as kind of the partnership, it became Zibanejad and Buknevich. Um, and, I, and I thought he, he handled it very well. I, I thought he competed harder. I thought he was better away from the puck. Um, however, he's going to be coming up on a big contract yeah. in a couple of years. And uh, I'm not sure that uh, – you know, I'm, I'm just not sure how he fits in. I, I don't know. I think if he has a uh, – I, I think they're, they're, they, they could make a decision this off season. Or they could let it uh, ride next year and, and see how he performs. But again, it's a flat cap for a couple of years. It's not going to go up much in the third year. And I don't think it's going to go up that much in the fourth year either because the players are so um, overwhelmingly consumed with the escrow um, issue that a, an increase in the cap automatically brings an increase in escrow. And no. <laughs> While I understand that escrow is capped at a certain amount, it's just going to keep rolling over and rolling over and rolling over. So um, I'm not—I I don't know that the Rangers would have the space to spend that kind of money on Buknevich, um if Kako, you know, develops into a top, legit top, you know, six first-line player. And I think he—and and honestly, if if Kako does not become a first-line player, then 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 I think everyone Be shocked. Just shocked (laughs) if he doesn't become a first liner. So, how much are they going to pay Buknevich to be a second or third line player? I don't know.
1: All right, last question. Biggest disappointment in the play play in round Edmonton, Pittsburgh, or Nashville? Uh,
0: Edmonton, Pittsburgh, or Nashville? Oh, Pittsburgh, certainly. Pittsburgh, certainly. Um, They really had very little excuse. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, you know, Carey Price is very good, but um, you know, Montreal finished twenty fourth overall. Yeah. <laughs> and I understand, you know, what the, the playoffs came. You know, this this round came um, what you know four and a half months after the <laughs> season ended. So it's it, it, so there is a disconnect in in analyzing this. This is a this is a one off, however. The Penguins' performance was pitiful.
1: Yeah, pitiful. It was shocking. For sure. And you know, maybe
0: Crosby was hurt. Um, I don't know, but you know that's that's part of it. I mean, he's, he's you know he's he's you know he he plays so hard, and you know he's played for a long time now. He's played for as long as quest. You know, <laughs> yeah, and then you <laughs> add in all those playoff games as well. Right, yeah. exactly. Right. So you know this is going to be a part of it with with you know with Crosby. I mean, you know there are going to be times he's banged up, and um, but you know. They got you know Gensel back uh, from an injury. Uh, everything I read is that they had this great summer camp. I was actually, you know, kind of joking, like, because everybody. I mean, I don't think I did. I honestly don't think I did. But, you know, you you would read, you know, read reports from all of these summer camps around the league, and like every team looked great. Oh, they looked right. great! <laughs> you know, they've never been faster. <laughs> and I was thinking to myself, what? I don't know. What are these guys watching? Well, you know, I mean I don't know. I mean I'm watching the Rangers play and it's kinda of like eh, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So um but I, I you know, I, I don't think Pittsburgh has much of an excuse for, for going out to a to a team really that that's that's not a terribly good team. Now look, you know, Montreal may catch fire. Yeah. And um but Pittsburgh but I but I but I have to say too that and, and again, they were underdogs and uh, they were underdogs and in the playoffs, you know, in the play-in for the first time, however you want to describe it. But the Rangers' performance was pretty disappointing. Uh, they really were. Not, not that they lost. The way it they just lost. just weren't competitive.
1: I, I totally agree. And you know what? The other thing is, you know, all these people, that sit with the analytics. You take a look at the defensive metrics of the Chicago Blackhawks, and you would have thought they would have been swept by Edmonton because all their numbers were, like, at the bottom, and they just right. came up big, too. So it's, it was interesting, for you sure. Know,
0: you know what? You know what? I, I – um, there was something about that series. Um, you know, Chicago still had, has enough players left from their cup run to be a very dangerous opponent, especially against a team that seems to me to be incredibly fragile. I mean, there is there is there is so much um, negative energy swirling around the Oilers because they have had so so much difficulty um, establishing any kind of a foothold, even though they have gotten one number one pick after
1: another, another. <laughs> and
0: so. Going in, you know, I just thought that was around. I actually, um, I actually did pick the Blackhawks to win that round, but I, I did not pick the uh, Canadians to win. But I did, but I did like Chicago because I just I, I just thought that against a, a questionable team like Edmonton, with a goalie who was kind of so-so, uh, was the perfect opponent for Chicago. And I and I also thought, you know, the Blackhawks, these guys, out of nowhere, they get a chance. To compete again, you know, for the Stanley Cup, and that would elevate their game. So, um, I thought Chicago's win was not as surprising as um, as as the others.
1: Nice. All right, Larry. Thanks so much for your time tonight. More importantly, thanks for decades worth of great sports coverage. Hopefully, come November, I'll, I'll see you in person rather than Zoom at training camp. I, I look forward to it for sure.
0: Excellent, Mark. Thanks a lot for having me on. It's very enjoyable. Our thanks.
1: pleasure for sure. See you soon, Larry. Be good hockey hall of famer liar brooks